Timey, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Sam. How are you? Well, uh, this summer I moved to Los Angeles, and it is a living hell. It is <laughs> one of the most awful places on the planet. Uh, but you know, I'm having a good time. I'm doing some comedy shows. I've been going to the movies. I've been working with Geekscape, who helps put this whole show together, so I can't complain. Uh, how about you, Old Timey? Anything to say? Uh, not really. Just kind of hanging out. Well, as you've said before, we have an incredible episode up our sleeve for our comeback. So, without further ado, we're going to go to some commercials, and we'll be right back. Meet little Melvin. He's a 90-pound weakling. Everyone hated Melvin. Yeah, I'm going to take this mop and shove it down your throat. They teased him. I want to do it with you. Okay. They taunted him. They tormented him until he had a horrifying accident and fell into a vat of nuclear waste. Transforming little Melvin into a hideously deformed creature of superhuman size and strength. Melvin became the Toxic Avenger. The first superhero born out of nuclear waste. Yes, the muggers and the rapists didn't know what law and order was until the Toxic Avenger came to town. Holy shit! I don't know what it was, but it saved my life. All right, everybody, drop your tacos or I'll blow your brains out. The vandals and the perverts had their way with the little people of Tromaville until the Toxic Avenger ripped them apart. The Toxic Avenger. His face is so terrifying. We can't show it to you now. You'll have to see the movie for yourself. The Toxic Avenger can bend steel with his bare hands. Where are the kids? Get it? Leap small cars in a single bound. He crushes drug pushers. Smashes hit-and-run drivers. And gives all criminals their just desserts. The Toxic Avenger. He was a hero. He's a hero. Wow. He's a fighter. He's a lover. Well, Melvin, you're beautiful. The good citizens love him. The fat and corrupt hate him. Kill that bastard for me. You gotta kill him. Yeah. Will he survive? 
For incredible, explosive action, you must see the Toxic Avenger. He's a different kind of hero. Avenger is coming to your town. Look out. And we're back with our segment Skyping with the Stars. Today's star is Marty Frescona. Uh, he is the creator of the YouTube video How to Sell a Million Records and Still Owe $500,000. Um, thank you for coming, Marty. Well, it's a pleasure. I'm excited to be here. Uh, now, I had first seen your video on AbsolutePunk.net, and having tried to run an independent label and, and having worked with a lot of bands and having friends who are still in bands, I find this video extremely intriguing, informative, and especially important for musicians to see. Uh, a lot of our, our fan base is based on musicians, so I really wanted to get you on the show as soon as possible to, to get this information out there. Um, can you give us a little bit of your background on on your knowledge of the music industry and then a little bit of how someone can sell a million records and owe $500,000. Well, sure. For, first off, I appreciate you enjoying the video because I got in a whole bunch of shit for posting it. So I'm so I'm, I'm glad someone enjoyed it and you latched onto some information. But uh, my background, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I've only worked in the entertainment industry. Uh, my father was an entertainment or still is an entertainment attorney, so I get to practice with him uh, in what is a boutique-style uh, law practice, I guess you could say. But um, I've, I've been one of those. I've kind of had my only jobs have been in the music industry. I've worked uh, as a booking agent, as artist manager. I uh, have even worked for indies and, and major labels and used to manage a recording studio. So I've kind of seen... Uh, a lot of different angles, uh, but I think the the difference in probably the new breed of attorneys that are coming in, we, we have this foot in the indie market, uh, and that's kind of what I'm familiar with, is this very do-it-yourself mentality. Um, and, and the attorneys that have been around, they're very knowledgeable, but it's also one of those, if you have a question for them, they're going to charge you an hourly rate for it. Uh, but there's a learning curve there. A lot of people just need to know some information just to have some uh, a platform, uh, a, a starting point. And, and I was hoping to provide that with this video, which um, <laughs> ended up, it got me in some trouble uh, internally with the firm only because a lot of the clients that we represent, um, they did not like this material. And, and we work with a lot of, uh, a lot of the labels and, uh, it, it almost immediately we started to get some flack for this video and the partners weren't even aware that I was shooting it. So they, uh, they asked me to pull it down. I understood why. And then it took a little bit of lobbying for me to explain, uh, why this was a good thing that we were actually providing some information for some clients. Um, and they let me, uh, repost it. Uh, but I have a, uh, a very small production company that is a client of mine. And they said, look, let me, let me shoot it. Your flip video is not really cutting it. So I think they, uh, they amped it up probably, uh, 1% because it's still pretty, uh, Bush league in, in terms of the production value. But I hope the, the, uh, the content is there for everyone. So a little bit of the background. If you got some questions, please fire them away at me. Now, uh, I don't want you to obviously give away the entire video because I do want people, 
to go and watch it. Uh, and it, it is a, to, to ask you to explain exactly how to sell a million records and owe $500,000 would literally take 10 minutes because you don't waste a single second of that video explaining it all. <laughs> but there are elements in there where it's just mind blowing. Um, the fact that the breakage percentage still applies for everything, including digital downloads, I think you said. And it's just- uh, correct. And, and, and that was the thing. You're right. I could take, uh, I could take 15 minutes and, and not breathe and, and try to crank out all this content again. It probably wouldn't be in your best interest or mine, but it's, um, it's really interesting because a lot of people assume, you know, the next level in the industry is, well, I need to sign with a major label. Now, the mindset shifted just a little bit today because everyone, they want to kind of, they want to do it themselves, but there is this, this delusion of grandeur that if I sign with a major label, it's all going to be okay. Um, and it's insane because that's not necessarily the case. I mean, there are some very successful and fair labels out there, but for the most part, you know, these contracts, there's all these elements buried within the contracts that people just, they don't, I, I don't know if they don't want to see them or just assume that, uh, it's, it's a standard recording contract. There's really no room for negotiation. And, they, and that's just bullshit because there is room for negotiation. That's why you hire an entertainment attorney. Um, but no, that this video, it, it's, it's what I broke down was essentially eight points, uh, that are hidden within a recording contract. These aren't just standard things that people look at and go, Oh, well, that will reduce my, my overall pay by $200,000. I mean, there's some terms that you have to understand what these terms mean to understand the deductions that are taking place. So the whole premise uh, behind the video was starting with, with 1 million, um, uh, sales of an album. Um, and how at the end of the day, the artist can actually owe $500,000, hence, hence the title of the video. Uh, but it's really latching on to, to eight negotiation points that will show these deductions. And I apologize, you're probably hearing my Rat Terrier and Great Dane barking in the background, but they're, they're trying to chime in. It's all right. Now, one of the things I think is really interesting, too, that you stress in that video is that a lot of these issues appear in even indie record label contracts. Uh, I, that was one of the points in the video where even I said, oh, really? Like, because you said, this is the same, you know, don't just think because you're on an indie label that you're going to avoid these issues. Uh, and I think that's a, that is one of the key points I think is important to get out there because I know a lot of friends who, you know, go, oh, it's an indie label, I don't have to worry as much. True. If, if you understand how contracts with indie labels got started, though, I think it would make some sense. So the, the danger for an attorney is when someone just finds a form contract. I cringe whenever someone says, well, we don't, we don't need a contract. We've got this form contract. And that's where recording contracts and agreements started with indie labels. They wanted to see what the majors were doing. So they would take this as kind of the starting point and they would, you know, they would remove certain elements. But at the end of the day, it's, it's maybe they didn't fully understand what these terms meant. So they remained in the contract. And that's why you will see them in some independent uh, record label contracts. Uh, and then others will, they'll take the stance that these are valid points. So that's another reason that they may remain in there. Uh, and they may try to offer more favorable terms in some other capacity on the front end. But at the end of the day, whichever way you shake it, these concepts are still there. And they mean drastic uh, reductions in terms of what the artist takes home at the end of the day. Now, do you have any uh, 
further videos up your sleeve with the the kind of success that this one had of helping musicians understand legal jargon or was this kind of a one and done deal you know i have to tell you i, I was really excited uh, in the first like i think it was the first eight days on this video there was like thirty-two thousand hits and it was really one of those i posted it so my so my clients could got, you know get a look at it and understand some of these concepts i had one that was um, that had uh, been introduced to a to a major, uh, and they're about to get a recording contract. And it, this was kind of the whole premise of of putting it up so they could see it. Um, the attention was great. I think now that the firm partners are comfortable with me doing it, uh, absolutely. Clearly, it's going to be homemade type videos, but I, I hope everyone is okay with that. Uh, the two that I do have in my pocket that I'm trying to finish up is is um, why it's important to own a, a trademark, which is there's some very unique elements to a trademark that bands should understand because it's it's probably the, the hot button for leverage with any sort of label. And a lot of people just think, ah, oh, we own the trademark. Well, there's a process to actually owning it. And then how do you use it and make money from that trademark once you possess it? So I think that would be an interesting video that I'm trying to finish up. Uh, but probably the one that will take off uh, uh, similar to this one is the four ways to negotiate a 360 deal. And everyone is very familiar that 360 deals is the so-called standard within the industry. Um, and, and they're usually non-negotiable, which is sometimes laughable when you hear non-negotiable because the easiest way to negotiate is simply saying no, and then you wait and see what happens. Um, but uh, I think this will be an interesting video. There's there's four very distinct ways to negotiate a 360 deal, and I think this is something that would interest everyone. Now, one of the things you were talking about trademarks, one of the things that I've always found interesting is when bands lose members. Uh, there's a band out there called Zayal. Uh, they're a, hard, a Christian hardcore band that's had some pretty moderate success, but there's not a single original member left in the band. <laughs> from when they formed it. And I find that just fascinating that a band can exist without any of the original members still in it. It, it, it is interesting. And I have to say, this is the carnage that, that I see on a daily basis, unfortunately. Um, there, there's, certain, there's certain foundations that all bands should start with. And it's um, a lot of people will just kind of exclude it. And they go on with creating music and performing shows. But it all comes back to that foundation. And the starting point for groups when they form is a partnership or a band agreement. And if you ask a lot of groups, well, do you guys have an agreement? Well, sure we do. We're going to divide it four ways. And I ask, okay, you're dividing what four ways? And you, you, let, let's break down all the components here. Who owns the trademark? Have you even filed for a trademark? If you did, whose name is it in? Because then that's not divided four ways if only one person is on there. So you really you lay out the, the, uh, the rule book of what happens. How does this band manage their career? And how do they vote on particular issues? What happens if, if a member is killed in a car accident? Or what happens if, if the other two members or three members of a group kick someone out? How do you continue to run at that point? So it, it is interesting. I, I understand that that's probably a, a topic that may interest some of your listeners of, yeah, what, what happens once someone departs? Uh, and, and hopefully this trademark video that I'm working on will cover some of these topics because they're new concepts to a lot of people. That's, thank you so much, Marty. Uh, when the new videos come up, let me know, and I'll run an ad on the show for you to make sure that my listeners know about them. 
Uh, we're going to go to a brief commercial break, and we'll be right back. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Drake, it's a house in the woods with, with four bedrooms, a pond, and nobody else for miles around. Name a horror film. Any horror film. This place is great. Where's the bedrooms? Why don't I take a nice stroll down that dirt path into the woods late tonight all by myself? Ooh, I think I stepped on something. Then afterwards, I can go skinny dipping in the pond. I didn't see anything. It was probably nothing. There is something out there. Don't forget, I have rented out every single horror film on videotape. It's driving me crazy. There's no need to worry. What are we talking about here? Those things that pop out of your stomach when you least expect it? Yes, I think you've seen some of these, too. There's no need to fear. There's nothing out there. That's where the rest of the chicken was. Yeah, no more than There's nothing out there. Did you hear something? Oh, I know I heard something. Because now it's in here. Where's Jim? Jim's in the other room melting right now. This can't be happening. You don't know anything about that creature except it, like everyone else, hates a mouthful of shaving cream. This can't be so. Come on! No, you're quick. Nice bikini. This stuff only happens in movies. So you're saying we're in a movie? Uh oh. Oh, where the hell did he go? Oh, oh, oh. Help! He's looking your eyes. This thing hasn't missed a trick. Controls minds, eats people, reproduces. This thing's gonna have itself an orgy. <laughs> It's a fight to the death with a slimy mutation. And that's how I spent my summer vacation. You see the creature? Give him my best. There's nothing out there. Well, this was a fun vacation, Nick. Too bad we have to go home now. From 20-year-old filmmaker Ralph Konevsky. And we're back. And uh, in the studio today, we have Lloyd Kaufman. I love that product. That was such a good, good. You know, I use it all the time in uh, in Tromaville. We, it really helps us. He is the found uh, co-founder and head director for many of the best of Troma's pictures. I direct all the heads <laughs> except for the Grateful Head. <laughs> now you are also uh, a big defender of independent film in general. I'm a supporter, a supporter. of uh, independent film um, and a fighter for independent film. Uh, independent film is under assault. Independent art is under assault. And independent art is also not just under assault, but under a pepper. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> you, uh, you have done multiple videos uh, on YouTube. Which I've done mul have multiple people, <laughs> not on YouTube. <laughs> that have kind of caught fire of you trying to fight for, for equal, uh, equality amongst yes. the filmmaking. Well, um, and that's what I'd really like to talk to you about Well, that's first. a good subject, Matt, and thank you for bringing it up because most people uh, just want me to be a sad clown just waiting to die. I suggest that uh, we are in a serious situation in which the uh, giant devil-worshipping international media conglomerates have gotten the laws that used to protect the public against monopoly. They've gotten those laws killed. They've lobbied down, uh, spending billions of dollars in Washington. The phone companies, the MPAA, the Motion Picture Association of America, and the uh, conglomerate, media conglomerates like Rupert Murdoch and Sony and Viacom. And as a result, um, we have uh, 
Law and Order and uh, CSI on every TV channel. We have little or no genuinely independent art anywhere that's easily accessible, and uh, we um, are um, subject to eat, pray, love uh, uh, quality and uh, baby food art, and that is a disaster. The other point that's very, very important to understand is that uh, net neutrality is the last the last um, uh, democratic medium, uh, the Internet, uh, which uh, thankfully uh, benefits from net neutrality, uh, allows all of us to have equal access, equal power, and equal, um, equal uh, revenue uh, if we have something valuable on the Internet. And uh, again, the same evil forces are down in Washington, D.C., 24-7, lobbying, spending hundreds of millions of dollars to create a superhighway for the rich and powerful, and then the rest of us will be on a dirt road, an inaccessible dirt road uh, on the Internet that will take a long time to buffer and will be worse than being on public access TV. So traumas, um, not only are we fighting uh, these causes, but I've written uh, six books, uh, all of which uh, uh, have uh, themes along the lines of uh, support independent art and commerce and keep the Internet free, open, and diverse. And you are also boy, am I boring? <laughs> you also defend uh, a, to to an extent piracy as well on the internet. Um, well, I don't think it, I don't. Uh, piracy is uh, is when you. Well, first of all, I'm an expert on butt piracy, uh, so uh, I definitely <laughs> defend that. But um, but if you pardon the pun, uh, um, I I prefer to say sharing. A piracy means you're benefiting and making money from somebody else's art. That is not fair. But sharing art. If if somebody wants to uh, download uh, a movie and share it with his, her, or its friend, uh, I think that benefits the artist. The, per, uh, the, 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 the most valuable thing that somebody has is his, her, or its time. Time is very, very valuable. And if somebody is uh, taking the time to share your art, I think you consider yourself lucky. I believe that the Toxic Avenger musical, which is, by the way, coming to Broadway, from what I understand, uh, it played a year on uh, Off-Broadway. Uh, it had music by the Bon Jovi guy, um, David, David Bryan. David Bryan. Uh, and that, was, that came about because we let people uh, share... The, uh, our music, uh, they, no, we let people share the Toxic Avenger. We let them put on the Toxic Avenger musical in Portland. We did not charge for the rights. We just let them basically share it, take it. Um, the, and, and, um, and we also permitted another group to put on the Toxic Avenger musical, a different musical in Omaha, Nebraska, which caught the eye of these uh, big time Broadway producers who had uh, produced uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels on Broadway. And the next thing we know, we actually got a check. And um, and we could end up getting lots of checks if uh, the Toxic Avenger off-Broadway musical indeed does come to Broadway, and it looks pretty likely. And you, uh, not only do you give away the characters, but I've even seen on YouTube you appear in some of the, the musicals when you can. I've seen video of you doing a, a Cannibal the Musical play and... Here well, I went down to Washington, yeah. but that was uh, that was, I think, licensed from T Jason McHugh, the producer. Uh, again, we are only the uh, distributors of *Cannibal* the musical, and in terms of the uh, licensing rights, I leave that's all the that's all belongs to Trey and Matt and uh, Jason McHugh. So, uh, I, 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 and I think in many cases they let people perform for free. Uh, but again, I don't get involved in that. 
probably for the best. But I have performed in it. Yes, I did uh, play a cameo, and uh, I'm in about 200 movies uh, because that helps the uh, fledgling filmmakers to uh, attract the trauma fans and uh, perhaps sell some micro-budget movie DVDs. Well, and you've helped so many artists from their infancy. And, And you look at James Gunn, I can't think of a better representation of someone who follows that trauma lifestyle all the way up into making his bigger budget movies he still has a very trauma thought process with everything he does well james is uh, certainly one of the most talented people to have ever uh, crossed the trauma threshold and uh, super i think is the best film of the year i, I really uh, loved it and have seen it uh, multiple times and uh, i especially enjoy the performance of the 911 man i don't know who he is but he's very distinguished looking and uh, i would like to go out with him I think I saw him in a film called Orgasmo. I think he had a small part in that, too. Oh, yeah. Orgasmo by Trey, and, Trey Parker have, and Matt Stone. I think Stone. he might have even been in Rocky. I mean, yes, I feel like he's yes. been in quite a few films. Yeah, he's been in some big films, uh, but uh, mostly smaller films like Bloodbath of the House of Knives and uh, <laughs> and uh, Meat for Satan's Locker and movies. Of, and, of course, Poultry Geist, Night of the Chicken Dead. Uh, um, now, speaking of Poultry Geist... Uh, that's the most recent of your directorial films, uh, I believe. And it's personally, in my opinion, one of the best films in your history. Um, with all the years that you guys have been doing these films, there's constantly growth uh, in, the, in the film themselves. And I, I wanted to know, you know, what, what film do you hold the most dear to your heart of all the ones that you've worked on? I would say my foul movement, uh, Poultry Geist, Night of the Chicken Dead. Uh, to me, that's the best experience of making a movie, and I think it is the best uh, movie that uh, Troma has produced uh, and that I've directed. Uh, um, it's got the most interesting themes. It has the most interesting uh, elements, uh, namely singing and dancing, along with the uh, the, um, the sex and violence and uh, chicken Indian zombies. And uh, it is a profound, uh, profound and entertaining movie, which is uh, what uh, art should be. What the movies, uh, you know, artistic movies should both entertain and uh, be profound and have some risk taking. And I think Poultry Guys, in a fair world, in fact, Neville Dean and Taylor, who uh, directed recently the reboot of Ghost Rider and uh, put me into their crank and uh, and uh, what was the other? gamer movie? Uh, they say in a fair world, Poultry Geist would have been a huge hit if it had been distributed by uh, one of the vassals of uh, media conglomerates. That Poultry Geist would have done uh, two hundred million dollars. Well, and I've I know that uh, there's talk about a Toxic the Avenger remake and talk of a Class of Newcom High remake, but I've also heard rumors that people are actually someone's interested in doing a remake of Poultry Guys, but I'm not sure how true that is. Yes, uh, we've had an offer, but it, uh, it laid an egg, so we're uh, <laughs> a cracked egg, so we're kind of uh, that, that that isn't likely, but uh, Toxic Avenger has been signed Akiva Goldsman, Academy Award winning writer of uh, A Beautiful Mind and uh, the director of the best movie ever made in history, Batman and Robin he is leading the group that are remaking uh, the Toxic Avenger, uh, rebooting it, whatever, and they're going to make a PG-13, $100 million tentpole uh, movie, as they call it. And Stephen Pink was hired to write and direct it. Uh, he did uh, Hot Top Time Machine and uh, High Fidelity. He's incredibly talented. So hopefully it'll be a good remake. Meanwhile, we're writing Toxic Avenger Part 5, and um, slowly but surely, at some point, hopefully, I'll get a script that doesn't suck too much, and we'll make that. 
I've and heard- uh, Class of Newcomb High looks like uh, it looks like that's got a better than fifty fifty chance. Now we we've, uh, we've got a pretty good offer or deal in the in the making for a remake. There it hasn't been signed, but uh, we've got two two different entities, uh, two different ways to do it, and. Uh, so I, I think that'll happen. Uh, have well, you seen the Mother's Day remake, by the way? I haven't seen the remake. I've seen yeah. the original. Yeah, I love yeah. the original. Yeah, the original is great. Charles Kaufman, my brother, did it. Uh, I think that's one of the best uh, movies of. I think that Eli Roth thinks that, that's his Eli Roth's favorite horror film of all time. But uh, and certainly uh, an amazing movie. Uh, I have not seen the remake, but um, I hear it's really great. The interns at Troma have seen it and they love it. Well, I love that. Uh, speaking of Eli and other name that started in trauma i love that for no real explainable reason he is the commentary track for blood-sucking freaks despite the fact that he had really nothing to do with the production of the movie (laughs) well uh, when eli roth uh, did the commentary track for the dvd of blood-sucking freaks he he just asked to do it you know he'd been (laughs) in terra firma and we knew him and gabe friedman was editing citizen toxie and gabe and eli knew each other from nyu film school and um, Eli just asked to do it. And, you know, I knew he was a major film fanatic. Yeah. So, um, you know, I knew he would do a good job. So why not? You know, Bloodsucking Freaks. Uh, why not have a smart person do the commentary? And, and it's great. I mean, Eli Roth's commentary on Bloodsucking Freaks, even without, even if you don't see the movie, it's worth, uh, uh, it's got history. It's got emotion. You know, it's got wisdom. And Eli Roth's great. Also in Direct Your Own Damn Movie DVD box set, uh, you should just get that box set for Eli Roth's. Uh, I mean, there, there are fifty other directors on that box set, including me. But um, the Eli Roth the wisdom is great and inspiration. He's very inspirational. Well, you can He's even terrific. see the uh, the influence that Bloodsucking Freaks had on something like Hostel. Like there, that's the closest I think we've ever come to someone attempting to do another movie like Bloodsucking Freaks. Well, again, Mother's yeah. Day may have been a bigger influence on Eli, but I mean, <laughs> he knows Mother's Day better than my brother, who wrote and directed it. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, I bought the Poultry Guy soundtrack at comic-con this year and you want your money back uh, no sorry, I, I, really I adore it oh oh, oh, oh yeah i love that confused by uh and i wanted to ask you about is that it looks like different people wrote each song that's in the movie like musical wise well the singing and dancing was all pretty much the music was all written by doogie banners from uh canada uh uh, and the, the lyrics were written by Gabe Friedman and me, or just Gabe Friedman. Some of the songs were, the lyrics were written by Gabe alone, and others were written by uh, Gabe and me. And Doogie may have written lyrics to one of the songs. All right, because the so- those songs are incredible. I specifically love your song in the film to be... The to jig be, that I did? The, the uh, Scottish jig? The, j- the Scottish yeah. jig. Oh, thank you. my favorite song in the movie. Thank you. But uh, I really... I, I love the the effect that trauma has on the punk music scene. Um, well, well, if I may interrupt, a lot of the songs that are not singing and dancing, we had nothing to do with it. We were just yeah. different bands. And by the way, fast breaking news, and nobody knows this yet. You're the first to hear it. Geekscape <laughs> exclusive. Lemmy has just given us uh, the new Motorhead song, Outlaw, which is going to be on his new album. Uh, it, it is going to be uh, uh, on the movie Mr. Bricks, directed by Travis Cha- uh, Travis Campbell, uh, who edits Troma's movies now. And uh, Mr. Bricks is a heavy metal murder musical, <laughs> and you can see some clips from it on YouTube. It's uh, just about finished, and uh, Motorhead, uh, as as uh, 
as they have in the past. They gave us a wonderful song and didn't charge us, and uh, they're the best. And yeah, his song, uh, his song amazing. for Tromeo and Juliet might be one of my favorite songs Mo- uh, Motorhead ever did. Sacrifice, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it works so beautifully. Well, wait till you see Outlaw um, blended into uh, Mr. Bricks. Uh, Mr. Bricks is an amazing uh, heavy metal murder musical starring Tim Dax and who I predict will be a major, major, major star. He's just moved out to L.A., and uh, he's already got a job in, uh, he got an acting, you know, a pretty big part in some major director's movie. I can't remember, but a big movie. Big. He's a star. He's great, Tim Dax. Well, and like I said, you have such a huge influence on the punk music scene. You appeared in the Punk Rock Holocaust movie. Uh, Newfound Glory is constantly throwing trauma references in their music. Well, videos. they wrote the it, Poultry Guys. Newfound Glory wrote the uh, under the under the name Calamari Safari. <laughs> they wrote the Poultry Guys theme song, which is terrific. And uh, and Chad, if you were at Comic Con, Chad and uh, uh, Jordan, uh, Jordan, right? Jordan yeah. were hanging out with. Uh, they were in the. Uh, they hung out with us in the trauma booth and on the came to the trauma panel and. Uh, and uh, they're going to be very instrumental in, uh, if I ever get a script for Toxie Part 5, the Toxic Twins, uh, they'll be very important. And uh, Chad's going to be, I uh, hope, he would like, assuming right now, if I had the script ready, he'd be the music director. But uh, who knows what will happen. Uh, you know, Hopefully he'll still be uh, willing to do it by the time I get the script completed. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming by, Lloyd. And as a personal thank you, thank you for staying true to your desire to make truly independent films for all these many, many years. Well, it's only thanks to our fans and to Geekscape that we are uh, still Troma after almost 40 years. So uh, if you're listening, uh, please uh, support Troma. Go to www.troma.com and uh, buy some of our Troma movies because they're blacklisted everywhere else except for maybe Amazon. <laughs> all right, we'll be back right after this commercial break. Or you won't get fucked. Come on down to Fun Town Auto. We got the Northwest wide selection of sports and utility wagons. Get out your fucking checkbook. Subaru, Honda, Mitsubishi, Geo Metro, Toyota, Ford, General Motors. Or you need fucking test the meat. Get your family over here. Get your checkbook. Get out your fucking checkbook. Come on over. Bring your checkbook. We're going to find it. Talk to my son, Timothy, in the finance department. Fuck you, son. No, fuck you, dad. Fuck you, too, son. Get out of your fucking checkbook. We will finance anyone. Mexicans, Bigfoot, Koreans, garbage pail kids, hipsters, dead burnt lesbians. Touch your privates. Funtown Auto located south of Rose. Get out your fucking checkbook. You don't want deals. Ladies and gentlemen, Chelsea Lane. This one is for the boys with the booming system. Top down, HC with the cooling system. When he come up in the club, he be blazing up. Got stacks on the deck like he's saving up. He ill, he real, he might got a deal. He pop bottles and he got the right kind of build. He cold, he dope, he might sell coke. He always in the air, but he never fly coach. He's a trip, trip, sailor on the ship, ship. When he make a trip, trip, 
to get slapped if you look at no say excuse me you're a hell of a guy me my 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 pelican fly mean so shine i'm loving your time i'm gonna make you mine yes i did and yes i did somebody please tell him who the f i is i am chelsea lynn i'm tearing so much for coming in um now how long have you been doing music um i've been doing music since i was about eight but i guess in terms of solo stuff just the last two years now i had first actually heard of you from a random youtube video someone had sent me of you and your friend dave doing an acapella version of such great heights by the postal service and the video had actually gotten mm-hmm. quite a bit of hits um have you had any, uh, has that video success uh, affected you at all? Um, a little bit, but only mostly because Dave did a video, um, it was called The 8-Hour Challenge, and he did it with his friend Transit, and it went viral. Um, and so because of that, people were checking out his channel and then saw that video and then linked to mine. So I did get quite a few subscribers because of his success, and then our video got a lot of views because of it as well so well and i i would love to have dave on one time just because i found it so interesting that with that postal service video unlike most acapella videos it seemed that instead of him recording each part for the duration of the song he just recorded little second snake like segments and then just kept looping them which i'd never seen anyone do that Mm -hmm. do it that way before which was really interesting 
And then you even had some weird little multiple layer parts in there as well. Um, was it a lot of work having to kind of harmonize with yourself at moments? Um, not really. Actually, it's funny because Dave found me on YouTube and I had just moved to Victoria and he's from here as well. And he found me on YouTube because I had done another cover and, um, and then he contacted me and was like, Hey, we should do something. And at first I was like, uh, I don't know who this guy is. I don't really know if I want to do that. But then we ended up, he sent me like the track for the song and I was like, dang, like this is amazing. And I really wanted to be part of it. So then, um, uh, we like set a day and he had already had the instrumental part done, like with his voice. And I just literally went over to his house and I didn't know him and we recorded it in about half an hour. And then, um, we did the video like right after that. And then he spent time editing it and whatnot, but it was pretty, it all happened pretty quick. That's that's still insane. That's amazing. That video literally blew my mind. I think I watched about seven or eight times in a row. Just like, mm -hmm. I can't understand how these two kids put this together. Because you guys are both younger than me. And I'm not exactly old. But I was like, man, I have done nothing with my life when I saw that video. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, you started uh, playing shows in, in Canada. Uh, you are, in fact, Canadian. Uh, the second yes. Canadian I've ever had on the show. <laughs> um, now, like, tell, you told me before we started taping this that you recently played a four-hour set in a diner called Earl's? Yeah, there's a, it's like a chain restaurant here, and um, it's called Earl's. <laughs> um, and they, in Victoria, they started this thing where they do local nights on Wednesdays, and so they have just musicians come and play for about four hours like your your shift essentially is from 7 30 till 11 and um or 7 to 11 and you play four different sets within that time and you can take breaks and stuff but you're basically just playing background music for people while they're eating some people pay attention some people don't and it's kind of just good practice with that's, an audience that's insane though um i mean mm -hmm. obviously i i'm willing to bet that i guess you don't have four hours worth of original material and throw in a bunch of covers as well. Or are you at that point where you've mm -hmm. got yeah. where you've got four hours of originals already? Um, I don't have four hours of originals. <laughs> Maybe about an hour and a half, almost two hours, and then the rest of it is covers, so uh, what's, yeah. what's your favorite song to cover? Um well that's a hard one. Uh, favorite song that I have covered or Favorite song, just like in general. Uh, let's go with both uh, of the ones that you have covered. What's your favorite one, and then what's one that you want to cover later? That's really hard. A lot of them, I I like them for different reasons, but um, and I I guess most recently I did a cover of Super Bass by Nicki Minaj, and that was like really fun to do. And um, actually doing Till the World End, Ends by Britney Spears was also really fun because. I sort of just changed it up in a different way, and it doesn't sound like a club song at all anymore. And that one I really enjoyed being able to take a little bit more creative license with and figuring out a way to make it work for me. So, Yeah, I uh, I just played a comedy show where I did a ballady acoustic version of uh, Got Your Money by Old Dirty Bastard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I do really appreciate when someone takes... Um, the hip-hop genre and the club genre and kind of changes it into something else. I most recently heard Reliant K's version of Baby by Justin Bieber, and they completely changed it into a really cool indie rock song 
from kind of a really super poppy kids bop type thing, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, what's going on with you in the future? Do you have things that you're on the horizon that are coming? How can how can people see more of you? Um, well, uh, I play a lot locally in Victoria, uh, British Columbia, Canada. Um, in terms of things that you on online stuff that you can find, I've recently put out a cover CD. It's called Cover to Cover, and it's sort of a compilation of a lot of the like top hits that I got from my YouTube channel, um, and that can be downloaded on Bandcamp. And um, I'm also doing another acoustic album, sort of recorded from home type deal, but that will probably be out in about a month or two. Awesome. Um... Now, mm-hmm. now, uh, obviously, it's it's a little early in September. I don't think you have anything up just yet. But if people want to see what's going on, uh, some of my listeners are, in fact, from uh, British Columbia. Where can they go to see where you're playing and go check you out? Um, most often, you can find out where I'm playing on my Facebook page. It's just, um, I think it's www.facebook.com slash Chelsea Lynn Music. Um, and then I also have a Reverb Nation page, which I usually put my shows up on as well. And sometimes my MySpace, but I'm a little, I'm not very good at um, updating that one. So you're most likely to, your best bet is Facebook. Don't worry, the rest of the world has stopped updating their MySpaces too. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you for coming by, Chelsea. Uh, I hope that. You have as much success as that Postal Service video has clearly been a success, if not bigger and better things. Thank uh, you. Thank you for coming in all the way from Canada. Uh, and now, Chico's <laughs> Vibe, please take it away. Hey guys, I just wanted to say that the commercials for this particular episode all came from Trauma, so a special thanks again to Lloyd Kaufman. Uh, The movies were for The Toxic Avenger, There's Nothing Out There, and The Bobby Hacker Collection. Uh, So go and check those out, and thanks again to Trauma for letting us use those this week.